The Lifestyle Show on RTE Radio 1 Extra. Hello and welcome to The Lifestyle Show with me, Tara Lockery-Grant on RTE Radio 1 Extra. This is the weekly show and podcast where we talk to some of the most inspiring people whose work, programmes and interviews we feature on rte.ie forward slash lifestyle and also in the lifestyle section of the RTE News Now app. The areas that we focus on, living, parenting, finance, fitness, health, food, fashion, travel, careers, motors and much more. And many of those we feature here are household names. Many others should be and will no doubt be as they go about inspiring people in their day-to-day lives. Joining me now in studio is Donald Byrne, the motoring editor for RTE. We're going to be talking about student cars. So if you or someone you know, love, care for is investing in a car, Donald has all the advice. So Donald, student time, it is that time of the year where everybody's investing in where they're going to live, how they're going to pay their fees, how are they going to get from A to B. And with the cost of rents being what they are, more and more people are commuting and travelling. So with that in mind, what about their motors? Thank you for joining us. You're welcome, Tara. Uh, well, I suppose uh, for students, a car is now becoming a necessity for many of them in a way that it wasn't before. Yeah. Um, as you say, with the cost of accommodation increasing all the time, people are commuting greater distances. I've heard stories of people who live in Sligo commuting to Galway. I've heard Seriously. people from parts of Kerry commuting up to University of Limerick and so on. Uh, so, th- you know, there there is a requirement there, or at least there's a, there's a need to look at the transport needs for students. Uh, what I find generally is that when it comes to students, young people or first-time drivers, very often it's their parents who are giving them a dig out. The inclination usually is first car, they're going to wreck it, don't spend too much money on it, how about three grand, find something and off you go. Well I can um, tell you now Donald, to, to start off with the, the, the a hand of honesty raised in the air, I bought my own, it was a Ford Fiesta called Betsy and there were holes in the floor where you rest your feet and we called it the Flintstone car for obvious reasons. So yes, bang well, on. Thankfully, we've moved on from <laughs> Flintstone cars. I mean, there are a lot of options for people. The one thing, as I said, is is to think sensibly. Yeah. Um, you can't just pick a cheap car and expect it to run in the way that a, a slightly more expensive car would run. Cars get older. They have lots of moving parts. They have lots of parts that fail. The, the chances are if you buy a really cheap car, certainly you're taking a risk that some major component is going to go wrong when that component has to be fixed. Parents, again, are quite adept at saying, well, should we know so-and-so down the road who will fix that for you and so on? That may be the answer for some people. It's not the answer for everyone. Um, I have tended, I know it may be difficult for students to, um, to, to take this on board or for parents buying these cheap cars. Uh, I've tended to look at cars slightly more expensive. I haven't looked at anything less than 5,000. And that's based on my conviction that if you're buying a car under 5,000, it's aging, it's aging fast. The chances are the mileage is very high on it. The chances are it's had several owners, so you're taking a gamble. I always tell people buying a second-hand car to always consider moving up just a little bit. It could be six or 800. Dealers are quite realistic uh, when it comes to selling cars like this. Uh, the chances are if you're buying a car as a student or for a student, you'll be paying in cash or you'll be, you'll be, you won't have a trade-in. That puts you in a good position. Because if you take the list price of a car and the dealer's forecourt, the dealer's anxious to move these cars on. 
So they're always open to doing a deal. I would usually go in with a, an offer of around 10% less than the cash price being asked, okay. possibly more, uh, looking for, you know, a minimum guarantee, uh, three months to six months, uh, three months certainly minimum. Uh, you need to have some kind of reassurance that if within three months you find some major fault that it can be fixed. Now, this is where we get into a grey area most main dealers don't like having very old cars on their forecourts. So they tend to move them on into the motor trade. Uh, so they go to a lot of um, outlets. Sometimes you'll see people selling these cars in their gardens, you know, particularly in, in rural Ireland, people making a few bob out of selling second-hand cars or imported cars or whatever. I personally always feel it's better to have some place to go back to if you have a problem. The, the only thing is you have to be realistic you are buying an older car. You have to expect wear and tear. You have to expect that things will go wrong. For example, a clutch uh, is a very straightforward thing that needs to be um, replaced every so often. So don't be surprised if you buy an older car and the clutch goes uh, after use um, because it's had a lot of mileage on it. Uh, I wouldn't be too unnerved by the fact that something would happen. But when you buy really cheap, you're looking at far more expensive components. You're looking at gearboxes, you're looking at engines, uh, air conditioning units, all kinds of things that can go wrong after serious wear and tear. And NCT-wise as well, Donald? Yeah, the NCT uh, is just to ensure that your car is roadworthy uh, within certain parameters. So they're looking at tyres, brakes and so on, uh, emissions levels, um, that working components are working like wipers, headlights and so on. But it's, it's basically, it's an annual check or a biannual check. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to look at how long the engine has on it or what the mileage is on it, their job is to ensure that this is roadworthy within the law. That doesn't mean there are several potential very expensive issues and problems that can arise. And are coming maybe fast at you. I love your line, the pay cheap, pay twice. And when I say I love it, I hate it because <laughs> it's true. It, it is It is difficult. But I, I think if I was doing that commute from Sligo down to Galway, I think if I was doing long commutes, I mean, I don't have, I have to say, a great deal of sympathy for someone living in Mount Mary and, and going to UCD and insisting on driving. Um, I, I do realise that it is a necessity, particularly for people outside Dublin who don't have that public transport uh, infrastructure, who don't have have Absolutely. a bus every 15 minutes or every five minutes as in the case or in, a bike in, in the city. distance yeah. exactly yeah exactly uh, and then there's the, the issue does the person need a car yeah. you know if you're within uh, commuting distance and there is public transport available why go to the expense of having a car paying insurance and tax, as a first time driver yeah. and tax and fuel and so on it's a lot of money it is uh, in Especially fact if you, if you reverse the equation and the logic you could probably find you could afford that apartment that you couldn't afford before you decided to commute yeah I think it's there's a lot to be weighed up in it. Now, one thing is as well, you know, tyres, OK, these are this is quite a basic thing. You know, what's your advice to people checking the tyres, especially when you're coming to these older cars? Well, tyres can be replaced. They're not expensive. But if you're running a car which doesn't have the correct uh, tread depth, there is nothing between you and the road except your tyres. If you try to stop in a hurry on worn tyres or tyres that are below the legal limit, you will not stop. Now, again, the reality is I've seen people scrimp 
and scrape on these things and say, well, you know, I'll get another few months out of them or whatever. People don't actually understand the the um, the distance that it takes for a car to stop, even at 40 kilometres. You could be dealing with a, a factor of 80 metres. Wow. You know, uh, that's why tailgating on motorways is such an enormous uh, risk for people. Um, there's there's always an assumption on this at the that two, two cars will, will stop at the same time. That doesn't happen. The laws of physics, yeah. and certainly when it's compounded by the fact when you've got bad tyres, plus you'll pick up a fine and you'll pick up penalty points because once a guard starts to examine your car, he'll find it and tyres are one of the most obvious things to look at. Okay. Donald, what is the average price? I was buying tyres recently. What is the average price? Um, I know you can get different grades and then you can get imports and then there's the Japanese versus the Chinese and even in Australia they're looking and they have and are selling biodegradable tyres. We're not there yet though, are we? I would not buy what they call partly worn tires. Uh, I mean, this is a bit like. Um, yeah, what is that? Why? Why? They're would, used tires. I know. Why they're would secondhand. anybody? People do because they want to save money. Mm. Uh, but for me, it's a bit like buying an umbrella with just a handle without the umbrella itself. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, you know, tires um, are on offer in several tire outlets. You know, eighty euros per tire. You're dealing with your own safety here. And it's one of the key things to consider. And people, I find, are quite naive. If a tyre looks OK, it is OK. They really are things that you need to check. OK, you've got your A grades and your B grades, and then you've got very well-known household names that we've all heard of. What advice do you have? Well, I think if you go to an established uh, tyre retailer, they'll be quite honest with you. Okay. Um, uh, you know, people are in business to make money, so they do have cheap options, and then they have options that are not so cheap. That doesn't mean they're outrageously expensive. Yeah. I mean, why would you buy, um, you know, something for your home, which is secondhand, potentially faulty, and say, well, it's fine because it's just inside the house and I don't really look at it. Uh, when you're driving, and particularly given the road conditions that we can have here in the wintertime, you know, students will be commuting on a Friday evening back to home from college. They may have long distances to do. They're leaving behind the established road network. They're going on to secondary roads, um, you know, often quite in poor conditions and on poor road surfaces. Now, if you don't have good tyres, um, or at least tyres that can stand up to those kind of conditions, uh, you really are taking such an enormous risk. And in my view, it's not worth it for the price of a set of tyres of 300 euros, 320 euros. In fact, it's the first thing that I would consider. Exactly. That's where I brought up. I think that's really important. OK, so Donald, you know, we've we've touched on some of the key, most important um, issues there, the top line. But delving down a little bit bigger, bigger, what are the most essential things to look at when buying a student car? I think the first thing, uh, Tara, is to look at your budget. Come up with a realistic budget um, that you can afford if you have to make repayments, that you can meet those repayments. Uh, people are fortunate sometimes to have their parents give them a dig out when they buy their first car or a car to take them to college and so on. Um, but the budget is where it starts. There is no point in going out and looking at a car and saying, that's fantastic, that's exactly what I want and I'm going to get it. Because it may be way outside your budget. Uh, you may find yourself in difficulty straight away. There are also running costs. You know, people tend not to look at, particularly for younger drivers, insurance. Oh, yes. How much is it going to cost you to get insured in that car? Uh, because you assume that it is a nice car, well looked after and so on, and is of a certain value, um, you assume that the insurance is going to be reasonable. Very often, I've, I've, I've known people who've actually bought cars who then couldn't afford to insure them for their kids. 
and the car has sat outside the door and then subsequently in one case been sold. No, but it's insane and I suppose the extra cost, I mean we've all fe- felt it going up whether it's whatever, depending on your insurance from anything up from 50% right up to whatever. So how are people affording uh, this for a brand new first time owner? I mean, well, first some, time drivers. Some, some people uh, are willing to, to pay because they have to get on the ladder. They have to get the insurance at some point. Um, frankly, uh, if, 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 if a, a quote comes back for three, four thousand on a car that's worth three, yes. four thousand, well, you simply have to look at the figures and yeah. say, does this make any sense? Um, you know, you can be a named driver on your parents' policy, for example, which is one way of getting on the ladder. So you start to establish uh, an insurance profile. It's not as valuable as having your own policy, obviously, but you will actually get onto the ladder. But the the economics of having a car when the insurance cost is so high, for whatever reason, and insurance companies take so many things into account these days. They don't just ask your name and your date of birth. No. They want to know where you live, what kind of mileage you do. And if, if you're living, for example, if they are aware of the fact that you're, you're commuting to Northwest Mayo from Galway every weekend, that may very well put a different per- complexion on their quote. Um, if you, for example, have penalty points, uh, a lot of people think, oh, I think I'm safe up to six. That is not the case. If Unless you disclose things like penalty points, and young drivers can accumulate them fairly quickly, you know, the first liberation on the road, the sense of freedom, independence, you want to take off with your friends and so on. Is there is a bit of a tendency mm-hmm. for a lot of people to, you know, put the foot down just a little bit and then suddenly penalty points. You are obliged to inform your insurance company every year of any change in your circumstances, including penalty points. It's theoretically possible your insurance company could decide after four they don't want you now if you don't provide the information and this is what an awful lot of people don't understand if you don't provide the information yourself at the start of a policy or when a policy is being renewed you don't have insurance you can pay the money but when they come back and they say you didn't tell us you had six penalty points if we had known we would not have insured you you did not provide the correct information that's the get out clause for the insurance company and you know it's understandable because people do conceal things people do hide things but you do it at your peril and you are the person who will pay Donal, with insurance, what is happening there? Because this is a very, very valid point for students and student drivers and parents. What is happening? I mean, it just seems to be insane. It's going up and up and up. Where is it going? Why is it going up? What's the trend? What's the future? Well, there, there is an investigation at the moment into um, the practice uh, uh, practices uh, employed by insurance companies in offering or not offering quotes uh, these days. Until that investigation into the industry is complete. I don't think we have a real picture, but insurance companies will tell you that the price of claims goes up, uh, the number of whiplash claims that come in are significantly higher, that we pay higher amounts for personal damage or injury than is the case in the UK, for example. Is that Um, the case? I think I've heard a figure somewhere, please don't hold me to it, that average payout for whiplash was about 20,000 here, possibly about three to 4,000 in the UK. Wow. So there there are disparities there, which understandably insurance companies have to cover. They're in the business of making money, uh, but they're in the business of actuarially predicting their risk. Uh, They tell us 
that the market price is the market price based on their actuarial risk assessment. So it may seem unfair, but it is terribly complex. There is no doubt that younger drivers are a higher risk than older, perhaps more sedate drivers. Uh, The statistics are there to show that in some circumstances, some drivers, uh, given their age, have a much higher risk profile. In fact, they're probably lucky to get insurance at whatever price. Okay, And is that consistent with right across Europe, right across the world? Um, With younger drivers? With younger drivers. Younger drivers globally are a risk. Uh, But there are countries, obviously, which have much safer records. Uh, Austria, for example, uh, Switzerland, um, where they don't seem to have the same uh, profile as younger drivers do here. Yes, there is a degree of recklessness that some young drivers are capable of. The company, the insurance company, when it's assessing its own risk, goes on the local market. So it doesn't matter what's happening in Switzerland or Hong Kong. Yeah. Uh, it's their local market. This is how they sell and this is how they make money. OK, so we're getting back now. I'm here with Donald Byrne, the motoring editor of RT, and we're looking at the things to consider if you're looking at getting a student car. So we've t- looked at budget and we've looked at cost and we've looked at the journeys that people will be doing in the car. What else should you be thinking about? I, I think one thing to, to pay close attention to is the history of the car. Um, you've got to make sure there's no money outstanding on the car. Uh, People very often find themselves in situations where, particularly at the cheaper end of the market, they may have met someone casually or they may know somebody through college or through a network of, oh, you know, my sister has this car and, you know, she'd give it to you at a good price and suddenly you're down at the local supermarket car park and it's all palsy. And then you discover afterwards that there's money owed, there's a loan outstanding. If there's a loan outstanding, you take on the liability for the loan. So if there will be a deficit in terms of what the loan company or the bank is owed and when they're owed the money, you're the person responsible. So they'll come knocking on your door. If you don't have the money, they'll take the car and they'll recover the cost. That is very, very important. I'd say very few people know and or realise that. So it's well worth being careful. Absolutely, absolutely. I think um, some other things uh, worthy of of consideration are knowing who you're buying from. As I referenced, you know, someone vague or someone you know, it can be fine. It can be fine. But I think most established car dealers and my own preference is to deal with established car dealers. They may not have these cars on their forecourts at really rock bottom prices or good value for for the student budget. Uh, But they may know of somebody who's selling their car or somebody who's suddenly retired or a car coming in that they need to trade on and say, yes, actually, we think we might have the car for you. We'll have it in three weeks time. Uh, It's a good way to do it. But also your your guarantee Most dealers will offer a minimum guarantee of three months. At least it gives you a comfort period to establish if there's anything wrong with the car. If you're buying in any other circumstances where you don't have a guarantee, it's really important, particularly with cars of age, that you get someone who knows what they're doing to go along with you. And that's not someone who's been driving for 30 years and ergo knows about cars. It's somebody who understands, for example, timing belts, timing chains. Uh, They have to be replaced uh, some Parts have to be replaced uh, as a matter of course. Has that been done? Or do you buy the car and then 200 kilometres later, the engine's blowing up? And again, don't get seduced by the first car that comes along. Oh, fantastic. I need a car. I need it in a hurry. Give it to me now. It's a great price may not be the best car for you. Shopping online, a lot of people are doing their price comparison comparisons. Surely there's nothing like going to see the car. I mean, OK, you could do that and then go 
and see them. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think shopping online is a great starting point. It really is. And sometimes, you know, I would have a slightly more experienced view of this. There are cars that really stand out for me. Mm. Straight away, I can I can tell most most people can't. It becomes a maze. So you find yourself again, if you take these parameters that I've just outlined into account, your insurance engine size, should it be petrol? Should it be diesel? What kind of mileage are you doing? How many seats do you need? Who's driving the car? Is it one person or are you carrying three passengers or whatever? Once you've all that, you can then sort of narrow it down a little and then start filtering and then say, OK, so which car do I like? that will fit those parameters. Is it going to be a small Toyota or a Renault Clio or is it going to be a Ford Focus or something like that? Uh, again, the choice with petrol or diesel, depending on the mileage, if you're commuting long distances, diesel, absolutely. If you're not, no question that you have to have uh, petrol. Um, but shopping online, as I say, it, it is a maze. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of cars, not just uh, local cars, cars that have been imported from the UK, brought down from Northern Ireland that are re-advertised online. Uh, people are making you know, a business out of this. Uh, you really have to establish your parameters first. Be practical. Don't be emotional about it. It's just a car. And if you're not happy that that car fits your requirements, there will be another car within three or four minutes. As soon as you scroll down and you see another page and say, actually, that's much better. Uh, but don't get seduced by saying, this is the car I always fancied. I am going to have this car. Chances are you're going to walk yourself into a deal for a pig in a poke. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're realistic, if you get your finances, get your insurance sorted, look at the mileage, average mileage, 12 to 15,000 kilometres a year. If it's way above that, you're in trouble. The higher the mileage, the more quickly things are going to go wrong. Donald, is there a reason that we see a lot of, again, looking at the older cars, Fords, Toyotas, give me other brands that we see these brands continually in cars that appear to be running seamlessly and are older on our roads. Is that just a coincidence or is there something It's not a coincidence. It's because these cars generally are the cars that have sold best in the market. So they've been one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, the best seller of their year. And the reason for that is that they have a good standard of reliability. People tend to go back to them again. They also sell far more than other smaller manufacturers. So there are more cars available on the second-hand market, which is not to say that a manufacturer like Suzuki, for example, which sells a small number of cars, don't make really good cars. But they just don't have that high profile of Ford, Toyota, Hyundai, and so on. So that there are good cars around. Uh, do as much research as you want or you can possibly do online. Go and have a sleep. Think about it. Have a cup of coffee take a walk and then say, is this really what I want? Is this really what I can afford? And how do I get the best one? One great tip you gave us when we were doing the piece on family cars is test drive and not just up and down the road, take it home. You can't do that, obviously, really with the older cars because what are you going to say to somebody, whether it is in that in supermarket car park, I'll tell you what, I'll take it for 24 hours and I'll make up my mind. But what test driving advice would you give? Well, as I said, if you bring someone along with you who knows about cars, I think that's probably the first starting point. If you don't know about cars yourself, a lot of young guys who've grown up on farms have driven cars since they were very young. Girls too. Yeah. Uh, they can drive a tractor. That was uh, me. And so on. So they, they are mechanically minded. But, you know, get someone like, you know, the mechanic who looks after your family's car yes. or cars uh, to come along with you. Or he may be a person who could source a car for you. You know, someone you know and trust. Or she. <laughs> uh, someone you know and trust. Mm. Um, so, you know, that, that, that connection uh, That's a is great really tip. My important. mechanic is brilliant. She is 
is very hands-on and would absolutely give up, you know, half an hour to an hour of her time to come. Because why? You're going back and back and exactly. back. Exactly. And that's the person you can go back to and yeah. say, look, I'm sorry about this, but there is a problem with the car. I would suspect with a relationship like that, that most people would be able to say, OK, that's unfortunate. Tell you what, I'll try to do it for you at cost price or whatever. Or if they've given you a limited three months guarantee, try to cover it in that. Now, Donald, your advice, that's very important to get the three months guarantee minimum, as you said earlier. Service history with an older car. What are we looking? What should we be looking for? The problem with older cars is they tend to have had a number of owners. So if you've got two, three owners, the chances are not all of them has have been as careful. Uh, the first owner might have been very diligent, got their service done every whatever the requirement was. And then the second person thought, oh, I'm going to save a bit of money. I'll just get it done when something goes wrong and so on. So there is an issue. But if you can find, for example, uh, older people tend to hang on to cars for lengthy periods of time sometimes you can get attached to them they like driving them they like the size they like the comfort and space uh, so it's not unusual for someone in the case of uh, someone who's died perhaps uh, has left a car in the family estate and somebody's coming along look you know my, my gran had a, a Honda Civic she did you know a thousand miles a year it's ten years old I would jump yeah. at it and it could have been serviced every year but you're unlikely to get the benefit of a full service history uh, with a much older car so if you can get it it's great for me I've often put a cash value on a genuine full service history of about a thousand euros Should you be looking in service history ideally obviously people would go to the garage of the make of the car does that matter anymore? I think traditionally um, a lot of people have veered away from main dealers because of cost. Yeah. Uh, main dealers are a lot smarter now and they realise cars are more economic, more reliable rather, and uh, they're more inclined to invest in the service end of their business. So prices have come down. Uh, they also, the mechanics are trained to a standard that not every other mechanic is. Uh, and they know the make of their car really well. They have access to their European offices by uh, internet connection. They can check with their colleagues in Cologne or Ger- any part of Germany, wherever the car was made. Say, look, we have an issue with this. Can you tell us what it is? It can be sorted out fairly quickly. Um, but the, the the full service history, as I said, if you can get it, is a very valuable document. It's not with every car and it diminishes. It fades over time because if you're owner number three, car is now seven, year old, seven years old you tend to think oh, I'll keep this for a while I'll get it serviced when it needs it Excellent Okay Donald last question you wouldn't buy a car past what year? I know it depends on the brand it depends I, on the condition I gave you the example of, of uh, you know someone who is minded looking after it. an estate a car that was minded there are cars that jump out at me it depends what my requirements are, how long I wanted to keep the car for. If I wanted a car, say, for two years, I might consider buying a nine-year-old car if it had a full-service history and it was good value, and I thought I was going to get two more years out of it. But I would be realistic in my expectations. Good. I think in terms of technology, safety, and so on, really you should be looking, if you can, at around... Um, you know, some cars, for example, uh, I looked at a Toyota Igo online. Uh, it had 34,000 kilometres, one owner, anti-lock brakes, fog lights and so on. Uh, 2014, 8,250. Oh, wow. And you get cash off that. Um, wow. I looked at another one. Is that it was petrol, a, did you say? That was, uh, that's a one litre petrol, wow. which is fine for a lot of people. Mm. I looked at a Kia Rio online, a 1.2 petrol engine, uh, 2012, 87,000 kilometres. 
you know, a little on the high side, but not too much. But the warranty goes to 2019 and that car is up for sale for 8995 Wow. And you could knock cash off that, particularly if you're a first time buyer and you don't have a trade in. Uh, and I've what's seen, what's I've the seen engine on the Kia Rio? The Kia Rio has a 1.2 petrol engine. So that particular one is for sale. 1.2. I'd prefer that little bit of extra kick than the one litre uh, trade I And then, you, you know, you can go even further. I looked at a, a Dacia Sandero, which is only 11,000 kilometres on it, 2013. Uh, it's got two airbags, traction control, an MP3 facility. Um, and that was uh, 7,950. And what age is it? It's uh, 2013. Uh-huh. OK, definitely bringing you with me the next time. Donald, thank you so much. Donald Byrne, the motoring editor of RTE.ie. And you can read more if you're looking for more details on what student cars to buy, things to look out for on RTE.ie forward slash lifestyle. Look up the motoring section there and you'll find all of Donald's articles together and also in the lifestyle section of the RTE News Now app. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram as well at RTE Lifestyle. That's it from me, Tara Lockery grant and we'll be back with you next week. Thanks for listening. The Lifestyle Show with Tara Lockery-Grant on RTE Radio 1 Extra.